and the title for this morning's message is Accomplishing the Will of the Father. In verse 34, which I just read, you will notice that it was Jesus that stated that his food, or he said, my food, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Today, by God's grace, we trust that we will gain some insight as we look into this passage of a very important principle, and that is how God's sovereignty works or interacts with man's responsibility. That is something that is always a question and theologically will be debated until the Lord returns. And yet this text gives us great insight into how that works. Or another way of putting it would be, how does God's grace work through evangelism? And it comes together right in this marvelous passage before us. In setting the tone, especially with the week break, and I think it's very important for us to set it in order to see how this all comes together in the passage. As you have your Bibles open, just walk through chapter 4 with me as we see what's been going on. Jesus had left Jerusalem in chapter 3 and went to Judea and was headed towards Galilee. And you'll see that in verse 3 if you look at it. I won't read the verse. And as Jesus is heading up through to Galilee, he has to pass through Samaria. And as he passes through Samaria, when he gets to that area, we find in verse 6 that Jesus Christ is tired. He is hungry. He is weary, as the passage says. And so what happens in the context, he sends off his disciples, and they go into the city, verse 8, to buy food to provide for them to gain their strength back so that they would have their strength and be able to continue their journey, obviously. But as he comes into Samaria, he gets involved in a conversation, which we have seen, with an immoral woman. Not only that, but she's an immoral Samaritan woman, and as we pointed out, would have been a servant. That's very clear, beginning in verse 7, as the Lord converses with her. And some of the things that we have learned in this passage is that as Jesus Christ converses with her, and again, I believe this will help us with that question of the sovereignty of God and the uh, evangelism or the responsibility of man coming together, what we find is as Jesus Christ converses with her, the Lord systematically and very patiently leads her to the understanding of who Jesus is. He takes her from a simple place and a simple circumstance of life. He's thirsty. He's near a well. And as he's there, he takes her from a simple, everyday situation that comes up, the need for thirst and drinking water, and leads her from that point to the spiritual recognition. He bridges the gap from everyday circumstances to a spiritual truth or a spiritual recognition that she needs the Messiah. She needs the deliverer. She needs a savior. She needs an anointed one. That came all the way from water, physical water. And we see that in verse 25 because the woman gets to the state that she says, I know that Messiah is coming. So she's gone from recognizing this water and the well that's being involved all the way to the point of she's recognizing 
that there's a Messiah that's got to come. And we see the progress. Just follow this part of it along with me for a second. We've seen the progress with this woman uh, regarding Jesus himself because in verse 9, she just calls him a Jew. She says, Why is, how is it that you, being a Jew? Then if you move to verse 11 and verse 15, you see she then comes and says, Sir, in verse 11, she said to him, Sir, and then again in verse 15, she says, and the woman said to him, Sir, She's making progress. She comes down to verse 19, and because he has very carefully and patiently been teaching her and leading her along, in verse 19, the woman says, uh, Sir, again, and then I perceive that you are prophets. And then by the time you get down to verse 26, after she says that the Messiah was to come, Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he, or literally, I'm the one. I am that person. I'm the Messiah. So he's taking her from drinking water, stuff that we get involved in every day, all the way from the place that she just recognized that this was a Jewish man, all the way to the point to seeing even the Messiah. And then in our last study, we saw that his disciples had returned, verse 27. This brings us right to our context. We saw that the disciples had returned, and interestingly enough, they're concerned that Jesus is even talking to this woman. They wouldn't say it out loud, verse 27, but they recognized it. And they are concerned with one thing. They are concerned with the physical needs and the well-being of Jesus Christ. It's very clear from verses 31 and 33 that their concentration is on him eating food. And by the way, before I get, we get critical of that, that's a legitimate need. They should have been concerned, and rightly so were they concerned about the physical needs of Jesus. That's why they went to the city, was to get food. So that was a, a legitimate concern. And I, let me just mention this. It's kind of off, the, the, but I do see a number of people that are going like this, and I am very hot up here. So if there's a way we can, without freezing everybody, adjust that, I'll just suggest that. Uh, a little side trip there. But... Uh, when we look at this passage, we find out that when they come back, they have that concern. But the problem is, apparently, they're so concerned about the physical and even about Jesus, who is the Messiah, that they're not the least concerned about this woman's soul. And we can do that. We can get so wrapped up in what we're doing that we forget the spiritual needs of individuals or the souls of people. And that's what happened with these disciples. And so we saw in our lesson that we need to be focused. And our focus needs to be, we said, on three things. That is on people's souls, on doing the will of God ourselves, and doing the work that God has called for us to do. That brings us to our current text. And you might remember that last time we broke up the verses. Today we'll be looking at verses 28 through 30, and then 39 to 42, since we've looked at the other verses to an extent. And what we want to look at is the reaction of the woman and the importance of us accomplishing God's work. Now, how do we accomplish God's work? It's through something that sometimes scares us. It's what Bob Belmore was just presenting to us a few minutes ago. What is that? Witnessing. Evangelism. And that's very important. And that is what God has given us as a responsibility, and then he does the work. How does it all begin? Verses 27 through 30. 
I already mentioned 27, so we'll say 28 through 30. It all starts with one person. One on one. Get that. How does evangelism work? How does personal evangelism work? How does my personal responsibility work? One on one. At work. In the neighborhood. In the streets. At uh, uh, the, the market basket. Uh, when you're shopping. One on one with people. Relatives and so forth. You don't have to have many. You don't have to have a group meeting. Now, God works in those circumstances, too. That's not what I'm saying. But what I want you to see right away is even the Lord Jesus Christ worked one-on-one -on -one with this woman. In an everyday circumstance, and with you and I, we need to be ready, whether we're drinking water, whether we're going to get food, or whatever we're doing. It is through the normal circumstances that you and I are living in that God will work evangelism. It's not some magical formula that I need to go to some class to get. I just need to be ready as I have contact with people one-on-one. -on -one. And God will work through those circumstances. The key is I need to be ready. The Lord Jesus Christ was ready. He was tired. He was weary. But he was ready to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he was ready to accomplish God's will. Now just... For a second on that, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. You'll be familiar with this. But 1 Peter chapter 3 and just verse 15. Evangelism or our responsibility to bring the message, I believe, starts with this very point, being ready. And in chapter 15 of 1 Peter 3, it says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now that's important, and I just don't want to spend all the time on that this morning. But we need to be set apart to Christ. That's how we get ready. And then he says, always being ready. You and I need to be ready. And then he says, to make a defense to everyone. It doesn't matter where we are. We need to be ready to make a defense to everyone. Now this context, I realize it says, who asked you to give an account of the hope that is in you. By the way, let me just say this under the side trip. That should happen because people see the evidence of God in your life. That ought to be something that stirs you up right away. If you don't have anybody asking you how you get through these circumstances or how you are able to handle situations, seriously, at least be that objective in your own life to ask yourself, why are people not asking me? Do they not see a difference between my life and the world? Do they just think I'm a nice person in this world? Or do they really see, how does Christ maintain? How do you get by in those situations? How do you continue on when those things go? But the first part that I want you to see this morning is that we need to be ready. We need to be ready. The Lord Jesus Christ was ready. Many of us are not ready to witness at all for Christ. We just go through our day, we have our schedules, and if God would dare send anybody into our life one-on-one, -on -one, we just can't wait to get by that, to go ready and do what we need to do. It's not just a pastor's life, and that happens with me every day, by the way, in case you don't think so, ask my wife. It happened even yesterday. The phone rings, and my schedule all is its changed. It's gone. What I thought I was going to do in the course of a day, 
many times there's never, I never get to it. I have to do it in another day or I push that aside or whatever. You need to be ready as you're going through life to be ready to respond to situations. Now, let me give you one more example of a one-on-one, -on -one, and I won't read the whole passage. Go to Acts chapter 8 for a second. Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. Many of you are familiar with it. But beginning in verse 25, Acts chapter 8, verse 25. And so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel. So they were involved in that in many villages. Watch this. But an angel, now we don't have angels coming and speaking to us directly, but watch this. The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, Arise and go south to the road that descends to Jerusalem and Gaza. What happened? He arose, verse 27, and went. He had to be ready. And behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official. And I'll stop there. And the bottom line, if you read the rest of that context, is it was one-on-one. -on -one. God said to Philip, now they were preaching the gospel. He says, you go. I got one person for you to deal with. And this is the one I want you to go to. And we need to see that most of the time in life, that is what will happen. We need to be ready to talk one-on-one -on -one with people about the things of God and about who Jesus Christ is. And in the context of John chapter 4, the Lord Jesus Christ was ready to talk to one woman, and interestingly enough, as we've already seen, one woman who nobody else wanted anything to do with. But he was ready. Are we ready? Just like Bob talked about this morning. It should not be. Listen, you and I do not know our time. It should not be that you and I are waiting till next week. It should not be that a month goes by that you have not testified of Christ. Something's wrong. Every day God brings people into my life in your life. Every day. You say, well, it just didn't open up the opportunity. I was listening very recently to a pastor, and he was challenged, and that's what the pastor said. The pastor said, I hadn't witnessed to people in a long time, and he was challenged as he looked into the Word of God, and he just tried something. He, he was memorizing Scripture, and he went up, and he happened to be, this is the truth, he happened to be at a register, and he was, <clears throat> and he was having, buying his groceries, and the person turned around and says, that's $3.15. Uh, $3.16. That's exactly what he said. He said, $3.16. He said, have you ever heard of John 3.16? And, and the point was, and the thing that struck me, here was someone who realized he hadn't been witnessing, and he wasn't even watching for opportunities. And what he shared in that testimony, he only had a couple of minutes at the counter, but he just said, sometime go home and read John 3.16, because it tells you how you can have eternal life. Opportunity right there. We don't look for them. We're not ready. Jesus was ready. Now watch her reaction. Go back now to the account in John chapter 4. Watch it. Number one, here's a couple of things of how she reacts as God works through our responsibility of preaching the gospel and sharing the word of God. Verse 28, first thing we see in her life is excitement. The woman left her water pot, went into the city, and said to the men. She leaves her water pot. Now, people have debated what that's for. Did she leave it so Jesus could use it? Did she leave it because it was filled with water and she wanted to wait till all the disciples used it? It's possible that context doesn't tell us. But I think it's more likely, as you look at the context, in my opinion, that it was just mere excitement. She was so excited about what she just heard, as evidenced by what she's going to say, 
She doesn't even think about the water pot. This is new information to her, and she's excited. So she, we see the excitement in her. Secondly, just like Bob was saying this morning, the next thing that she does is verse 28. She says, it's, it tells us, the woman left her water pot, went into the city, and said to the men. Where did she go? She returned to the people that she knew. When we talk about evangelism, oftentimes we're scared to talk to our family. We're afraid we're going to get rejected. We're afraid to talk to those at work. We're afraid to talk to our neighbors because we don't want to look bad or we don't want to look at like some religious uh, uh, person who's just bombarding them with this stuff. And so what happens is we don't want to return there. We'll witness to somebody we don't know on the street. He went right, she went right back to the people she knew. And that should happen. What should happen in evangelism is not only do we need to be ready and there should be an excitement about the things that we're learning, but we should be ready. She went right into the city, and these people, listen, knew her past. They knew all about her. They, she wasn't afraid of that because she had some information. She, in the past, had avoided them. We already talked about that. That's why she's at the well by herself. She had avoided being in contact with them, and now because something has happened in her heart, she doesn't care. And she's going to run right back to the people who know all about the things going on in her life, and she's going to tell them about the Messiah. Where do we start with evangelism? We start by being ready. We also start by going back to the ones who we know. Go back to your family and tell them. Even with those who were healed in the Gospels, the Lord Jesus Christ said, yes, in some cases, go show yourself to the priest. But no, you stay here, go back to your family, tell them what I've done in your life. So you want to talk about evangelism, have the courage to go back. You say, well, they know everything that happened in my life. All the more reason, if it's real in your life, go back and tell them. Let them see the change that God is doing. Third, what happens next? She invites them out. Look at verse 29. Come see a man who told me all things that I have done. I'll get to the last part in a second. She doesn't have a lot of theology. With witnessing, we don't need a lot of theology. All she simply did was say, you know what? You come for yourself. Come and see. See, people need to hear things and see things for themselves. This is very common. That's why your responsive reading. Go back with me to John chapter 1, just for a minute. You look and see it. John chapter 1, look at verse 41. <clears throat> Here the Lord's choosing his disciples. We already expounded that passage, but look again at verse 41. What happened? In verse 41, he found first his own brother, Simon. What did he say? We have found the Messiah. Right back home. We found the Messiah. He brings him. Go to verse 45. Right? Philip is found, and then what happens? Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote. And a question arises because he says, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. And then Nathan, Nathanael says in verse 46, Can anything good come? What does he do? Get into a big theological discussion. No. Come and see. That's what he says. We see it very common in Scripture. Bring them to the Lord. Bring them to where they can hear. Bring them to where they can see 
where they can understand. That's a good pattern to follow in evangelism. Be ready. Go back to those who you know. Not only go back to those who you know, you don't have to have a lot of theology. Take them back so they can see. Now, what does that mean? How does that work practically? We can't turn around, Pastor Dan, and walk out the door this afternoon and say, come see Jesus. He's going to be there at 3 o'clock this afternoon at Fellowship Bible Church. Right? They could do that. Not with time, but they could say, come and see. I know where Jesus is. So what do we do? It may be that it's one-on-one. -on -one. You say, come and see. I want to show you from the Bible myself. Take a look. I want you to read this. I remember one time that I had the opportunity. It was in Merrimack, New Hampshire. And a fellow that I had been witnessing to went over and over, and he just said, well, that's your interpretation of the Bible. Praise the Lord he asked that, or he said that. You know why? I happen to have a Bible in my pocket. And so what I did, I pulled out the Bible. And this was a guy I knew from when I was young. I used to play basketball for him. He was one of my coaches. And I turned around, I pulled it out, and I said, you know what? Maybe that is my interpretation. I turned right to John 3.16. I said, you read it, and you tell me what it says. That's what I did. He read it, and he says, well, it seems to be pretty simple, but uh, it must mean something else. I said, well, doesn't it mean what it says? I let him read it for himself. Take your Bible, open it up. You don't have to explain everything. Let them see for themselves. How else? Bring them to a Bible study. That's why there's home Bible studies. Bring them on out so they can come and hear the Word of God. Bring them to church. Really? Yes, that's what the whole program's about. Bring them out so they can hear for themselves. Have personal one-on-one -on -one with them. Make arrangements where you can go and visit them. Have them over to your house for tea or coffee or Coke or whatever else you drink before I offend somebody. Whatever it is. Just take them over and spend the time one-on-one -on -one with them. What else? Bring them to special events. Sometimes that works. They'll come out, and, and I don't mean it as a gimmick, but you're having a camp out. You're having a men's situation. You're having a woman's situation. There happens to be an afternoon early meal next week. There's a baptism coming up. Whatever it is, invite them out. It's the same process, folks. What happens is we don't. Let's be honest. We know that these events are coming up at church. We know that these things are happening in our house. But, you know, we, I don't know. I want to offend them. I don't, you know, I don't want to put myself, I don't want to put them out of the way. Why? Just go and invite them. They don't want to come, they'll say no. They don't want to sit down with you, they'll say no. The Lord Jesus Christ took the time, and this woman now, in reaction, goes right back to those she knows, and what does she do? She simply invites them to come out. That's simple. What else was involved? She only explains, next point, number four, verse 29, she only explains what she knows. What do you mean by that? Look at it. Come see. Come see what? A man. What about it? He told me all the things that I have done. Now, just so I touch it theologically, does that mean everything that she's ever done from birth and so forth? That isn't the context, obviously. She's dealing with what she's already revealed. The five, the, the husbands of the past living with it. That's the context. It explains it. And she's saying to these men who knew her life, she's basically saying, we can see the input, that everything that I, I didn't even know this man, he got into my past, told me what was going on, and that's all she can tell him. What does that mean? Let me give you some application. She doesn't get involved in a deep, deep theological discussion with him. You know why? Listen, they wouldn't have listened to her. You say, what do you mean they wouldn't have listened to her? They knew her past. She is a woman, obviously. They're not going to listen to her preach. 
No. But she just simply uses the situation of her no theological discussion. She doesn't give them a thousand Bible verses. She does not attack their religious beliefs. Why am I saying that? These are things that we do. We attack people's religious beliefs and concentrate on that. We think that I can't witness because I don't have 5,000 verses of Scripture to do that with. She didn't have that. She didn't have all the answers. She said, come and see. What did she say? This is not the Christ, is it? Look at verse 29. Now, by the way, as much as there's debates and everything else on this, this demands a negative answer. That's really the way it is. She expects them to say, no, it's not. Many believe that she's probably hoping that, she, that there'll be a yes. Well, that's opinion, and it probably is true with the context, but it's expecting a negative answer. But he told me all things. This stranger who knew her life, there's no exaggerations in what she says. She was not struck by lightning. She doesn't present any Hollywood drama to that to make it attractive to the men. None at all. She would not have been believed if she starts to preach to them because they knew the shame of her life. She simply gives them what she has. Now let me make that practical. Every testimony in this room, every single person that belongs to Christ, your testimony is unique. All God wants you to do is repeat what he did for you. That's it. Now, obviously, she was confronted with sin. Obviously, she saw her need for salvation. She was told about who Jesus was. But she didn't have a lot to give to them. All she could do is simply say, he told me everything that I did. Come and see, is this, is this the Messiah? You find out. He couldn't have done that unless he knew about all my life. You see? And what we need to do is take our unique circumstance. We come to a baptism. Sometimes people don't get baptized. Or sometimes we won't even give a testimony. Why? Because we're so concerned it's not as dramatic as somebody else's. Who are we trying to please? Whatever God's done in your life, share it with somebody. Let God use that. That's all he wants to do. Just the very fact that your life has been changed is dramatic. It's catastrophic to the demonic world, the fact that you've come to Christ. Just share whatever you can. We're going to see later on in the book, that's all the blind man's going to do. They're going to, the blind man's going to turn around. I'll make it real simple before you get there. Now, don't skip that chapter when I get there. But here's the summary. Who did this? What happened? I don't know. All I know is I couldn't see. Now I see Jesus did it. That's all I can tell you. If that isn't a simple testimony, I don't know what is. And this woman just says, he told me everything I knew. Is she saved? The text doesn't tell us, by the way. But as I look at the excitement, her proclamation of the good news, the heart of her that's been affected, she's got every certain indication that her life has been changed, and that's why she's excited and wants other people to hear. She's doing the very thing that people who are saved should do. And if she's not saved yet, I'm going to tell you something, by the time you come to verse 42, she is. All with one person. That's all it took. Their response, verse 30, they came. And it's the imperfect tense. They continued to come because of one woman. Don't ever underestimate your preaching 
teaching, bringing one person to Christ. Where would this church be if someone didn't bring the gospel to Pastor String? Where would many be if, some, if a Sunday school teacher just looked and said, you know, D.L. Moody, I haven't got the time to spend with that kid. How many have come to Christ because one person went one-on-one -on -one and talked with that person? Don't ever underestimate that. They were continually coming. If nothing else, we should see this. They got the curiosity of the pe she got the curiosity of the people up. That was, that's man's responsibility, to bring people to Christ. What, to save them? No. That's where God comes in. All she could do was evangelize. All she could do was her responsibility in telling someone what God had done in her life. The rest is up to God. He's got to change the heart. We see it coming together right in the passage. They come and see. And it goes from one-on-one -on -one to what? Go down to verse 39. Many. And all you, I did in the outline was use the terms of this passage, by the way. You probably saw that. If you come to verse 39, it says, And from the city, many of the Samaritans, what? Believed. Her integrity. They knew her past. And they knew what she was saying was true. They obviously saw the detail. They saw a radically changed woman. A woman who was afraid to be in their presence, who was now coming and talking to them. They saw a woman who had a rotten past that was talking about the Messiah, the Savior. She didn't do that in the normal course of her day. They saw this, and she was now a new creation. It was obvious to them. And what happens is they come to faith. That's what it says in verse 39. Faith of the Samaritans is seen there. Many of them came out, and they believed. Why? In him, because of the word of the woman who testified simply what she knew. He told me all things that I have done. She didn't quote Deuteronomy. She didn't quote Joshua. She didn't quote the Psalms. She simply told all that she knew. And that's all that we can do. Now, it may be that you have some scriptures. So see, even in bringing people to hear Christ, even people, as far as evangelism, there may be times to share several scripture verses, but there may be times you don't even have that, and all it is is come and see, I want to show you. Come and see, come to this Bible study. Can you come to this woman's thing? And you know there's a, there's a message coming, and you let them know. We're going to have a social time, and then there's going to be a message. When I invited my neighbor a few months ago to the men's fellowship, that's exactly what I said. Would you come with me? I said, we're going to have a social event. There's going to be a, a, a dinner here. And then afterwards, one of the men of the church are going to share their testimony. What do you mean testimony? He's going to share a little bit that's gone on in his life. Would you like to come? Just leave the rest of the Lord. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. And what happened is they believed. And it's interesting because it tells us in verse, as it goes on, that they came to him and were asking him to stay. That's interesting. And again, it's imperfect. They're continuously asking him, would you please stay? They came because of the woman having the courage to reach out to them. As they come, they want him to stay. And I, and I find this so interesting to me. Obviously, he stays with them. Jesus stays and, and teaches them. It tells us that in verse 40. He stayed with them two days. 
And it all started because one woman had the courage to go and tell them, you know, is this the Christ? Come and see. And now they come. Now remember, this is Samaritans. These are the people who are considered in their day unorthodoxed. These are the people who are considered unworthy of the gospel. And there's no one that's unworthy, by the way. I mean, in one sense, we're all unworthy. But I mean in being brought to that knowledge, because God will work. The religious leaders weren't like that. The religious leaders didn't ask Jesus to stay. They wanted to kill him. The religious leaders wanted to take action against him. They wanted him thrown out of the city. But not these Samaritans, because they recognized truth. And they wanted him to stay. They wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus, and he stayed. He stayed and taught them. And he takes. And what do you find out in the end of it? Verses 41 and verses 42 is what? It goes from one woman to many coming, and it can't be any clearer in verse 41. And many more. One person. Ready to be used. Ready to use their responsibility to save? No. Sovereignty of God. He's got to save them. Ready to go? Yes, human responsibility. It has to have the gospel? Of course they do. But all she could do is bring them to him as, with as much information as she had and let God take it from there. And God will do that. And we find that happen in her life. So many more. And then you notice what's said. Many more believed because of his word. Because of his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. It's got to come in. They got to hear that they're lost. They got to hear that Jesus Christ is the way. It all started with them having a curiosity that this could possibly be that Messiah. And they needed to hear that. You know, the preaching of the gospel, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1 for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> Stay with me, verse 21. <clears throat> For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. The world will never do that on its own. God was well pleased. How? Through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The, the world today that you and I are living in still think that the gospel is foolish. To think that man cannot save himself is absolutely silly in their mind. To think that there is only one way, especially in a day and age that we're living in, of pluralism and multiculturalism, where everything's got to be accepted for you to have the courage to say, I'm sorry, there's only one way. It's only through Jesus Christ. It is foolishness to them. But it is through that mechanism. It is through God's choice of using us to bring forth the gospel that he sovereignly works through that to bring people just like you and just like me and people outside of these doors to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter. The Jews look for signs, the Greeks for wisdom, but we, verse 23, preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, because of the foolishness of God, verse 25 
is wiser than men. What do we do? We go on, and he says that God chooses the foolish things of the world. This Samaritan woman, in the eyes of the world, was a fool. These Samaritans who are coming out in the eyes of the world were, verse 28, the base things of the world, the things despised. But God sovereignly had chosen them, verse 28. Why? That no man should boast. This Samaritan woman had nothing to boast about. These people coming out of Samaria had nothing to boast about, and neither do you and I. God is in the process of saving ordinary people through the simplicity of those that he saved with excitement, going back and telling all that they have and bringing people to come and see and let God do the work. That's a simple lesson on evangelism, folks. That's a simple lesson for me. It's a simple lesson for you. And what an amazing statement as we wrap it up in verse 42. Go back to John chapter 4. And they were saying to the woman, it's interesting, are they continually saying, it just, what were they saying? It's no longer because of what you said that we believe. Why is it then? For we have heard for ourselves. And what do they now know? This one is indeed the Savior of the world. They saw it. Why? Because one woman had the courage, in spite of all of her past, to go right back to the people and say, come and see her responsibility. And God changed the heart miraculously. It's got to be personal. It's not that our relatives can get saved because of us. No child can get saved because of their parent. There has to be the personal application. And, and there has to be that appropriation. That's what you see here. She couldn't save them, but she could bring them to him and let God do the work so that he could apply it to their lives personally like he did to her life. And that's what happens. And the message, folks, listen carefully, with all the theology, the message is for everyone. And in case you don't understand what I mean by that, let me just read my personal notes to you. It's for Samaritans, for Jews and Gentiles. It's for Roman Catholics, it's for Protestants, it's for Muslims, it's for Hindus, it's for Buddhists. It's for the religious person, it's for the atheist, it's for the agnostic. It is for the white, it is for the black. It is for the oriental, it is for the Indian. It is for the male, and it is for the female. It is for the young, it is for the old. It is for the rich, it is for the poor. You get the point? It doesn't matter who we're talking to. God's message is to go out to the world and we leave the rest to him. But I don't know if they've been elected or chosen. What is that to you? You do what I've called you to do. What is that? Tell others what I've done for you. Bring them to Jesus and let him do the work. Every one of us should be involved in that. Every one of us. We have seen, and I'll close with this, couple of verses. In John chapter 1, verse 29, you don't even have to turn there. What happened with John the Baptist? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
simply pointed and said, folks, behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. He's the one. Trust in him. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. I shared this at Beulah's funeral this week. Listen carefully. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, and here's why, in order that he might bring us to God. Jesus Christ died to bring us to God. So what do we do? Bring people to him. He'll take care of the rest. John 14, 6, I won't turn there. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And finally, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is no other name among men whereby we must be saved. So do we have a message to give? Yes. Can we be like the Samaritan woman? Absolutely. God did a work in her heart. He took the time one-on-one, -on -one, patiently leading her, and now she went and said to others, come and see. God wants to use you and I. If you're saved this morning, if you've truly trusted in Christ, God wants you to go forth. Your responsibility and how this works together is you just go forth and tell them what Jesus has done for you. Bring them to Jesus' feet. Do it through Bible studies, through events, through personal one-on-one, -on -one, and leave God's sovereignty to him. Let him change the heart, and you will sit back in awe. I don't believe for one moment that this Samaritan woman, when she was excited, ever dreamed that someone like her could have been used so that one day you and I, thousands of years later, would read and many more believed. How many more will believe when you go forth? Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he's still interested in bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That, Father, he's still working in hearts. We admit our frailties, and we know that often we fear men more than we fear God, that we don't like to say that. Help us, Father, to avail ourselves of the opportunities that you give every day. Every one of us who have come to Christ should be excited that we're saved and should be willing to go to tell others about that. Help us to do that. Help us to be ready to proclaim the gospel, to be ready to tell others the hope that lies in us. And, Father, to leave the rest with you. Help us to do our part. Help us to be involved in our responsibility in bringing the message. And let you and the Holy Spirit work to change the heart of people that they might become new creatures in Christ. Give us that boldness. And if there be any here that do not know Christ, help them to see that there is salvation in no one else. No other religion. No other person. No other system. But only the person and work of Jesus Christ the just suffering from the unjust, that substitutionary sacrifice, only that can atone for sin and help them to come to saving faith in that Messiah that died on the cross and rose from the dead. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.